Ça va? And we're back. Uh, it is Friday, June 19th. This is the Call to Violence MMA show, so, so thank you folks for answering. I'm your host as always, Raj Gilardi. And unfortunately, Mike Connerton uh, will not be with us today. Uh, he again is lost somewhere with a mask and a long straw, sucking some dude's farts out of, uh, you know, out of his butt. However, the violence must go on. Uh, we got a lot to unpack today. You know, more, more fighters are coming out against the UFC, uh, you know, due to pay, pay structure and, and whatnot. Um, we will recap this past week's UFC card as well as tomorrow's big card. Uh, so let's get right into the nitty-gritty of things. Uh, so this was the sixth event um, by the UFC within a month during this whole COVID era. This by far was the weakest in terms of name value and stakes. Uh, but you know, it still delivered uh, for an entertaining night of fights uh, with no other live sports going on. Uh, I unfortunately did not get to catch uh, most of the undercard, uh, but did catch up with uh, a lot of the main card. So let's get right into it. So uh, Cynthia Calvillo solidified her name at 125 pounds. She also represented Eastside San Jose at the same time. Uh, as you guys get to know me, you guys will start to notice that I am a fat homer for anybody that comes out of the San Jose area uh, since that's where I grew up. Uh, one of my best friends grew up on the east side uh, in the Alum Rock area, so I know that area very well. And for those of you who don't know, uh, former Strike Force. Uh, lightweight champion Josh Thompson actually grew up in that area as well. So that east side, that you know, it's it's a hard lifestyle growing up on the east side there. So you get some really really good fighters coming out of there. Um, you know, Jessica I, she's always a, a crafty vet, it's, and it's you know that's never an easy matchup for anybody. But um, I just I really hope they don't throw Cynthia right into a title shot because uh, she really hasn't gained too much traction. Uh, in this division, you know, she's kind of got forced out of 115 because of her multiple failed uh, um, uh, weigh-in attempts at 115. She looked great at 125, but I definitely see her having a size disadvantage against the the you know the higher end of that division. And with this division being so shallow, it's it's gonna be hard for true contenders to emerge because. Anytime one one girl gets, you know, a decent win, they get thrown right at Valentina and then Valentina ends up, you know, killing them in the first two rounds. And then it's, you know, it's really hard to build another contender after they've already gotten destroyed by the champion. So I hope they can find something else for Valentina to do in the meantime. Um, and then, you know, really let Cynthia grow in this division. Um... Outside of that, though, we had Char Charles Rosa rebounding with unanimous decision win uh, after getting shut out by Bryce Mitchell just a month ago. And, uh, you know, this this fight really showed, uh, you know, not only Rosa's skills, but Mitchell's skills because of how well Rosa fought on the ground in this fight and how he got dominated by Mitchell in the previous outing. And, you know, this is kind of, you know, me and Mike have been talking about how, you know, during this COVID era, we start to see the same fighters get shuffled around all these cards. And it's great because it gets an opportunity for the guys who want to be active. It gets, you know, money in their pockets and it gets them experience. And just like we were talking about, Charles Rosa did have a super devastating loss against Bryce Mitchell. But, you know, gets a rebound here and, you know, gets right back in the win column and doesn't erase the fight against Bryce, but puts some momentum back in the sale a little bit. 
another good fight on the card was Tyson Nam. Man, Tyson Nam pretty much killed the guy on live TV on Saturday. Uh, you know, he's a great addition to that really, really stacked 135-pound division. And, you know, for those of you who, you know, maybe a little more casual and don't know Tyson Nam, he made a name for himself uh, early uh, in, in like 2013, 2014. Uh, all the hardcore knows him, uh, all the hardcores know him by uh, by him knocking out Eduardo Dantes while Eduardo Dantes was the Bellator champ. And Bellator at the time didn't have any fights for him at 135. So they let him take a fight in Brazil against Tyson Nam, and Tyson Nam ended up knocking him out in the first round, and that really messed things up for Bellator, you know, promoting Eduardo Dantes. But since then, uh, you know, he kind of has been—he's been super inconsistent. Uh, wins one, loses one, and really hasn't been able to gain any momentum. But excuse me, Tyson Nam has already fought uh, Eduardo Dantes, Marlon Moraes, Sergio Pettis, Ali Bagutinov. And so he has a great, 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 great experience record, but he is 36 years old and he does fight at 135, which is definitely a young man's division. So to me, it's now or never for for him. Uh, Moving on, we also have uh, Andre Feely. Uh, You know, he continues to put everything together. Uh, He picked up a unanimous decision win, and I really love guys like Feely. Guys like Feely, they come in with not being super well-rounded, you know, super athletic in some regards, but really don't have a, a game to really, um, or they don't have a, a certain aspect of their game uh, that out, that stands out over anything else. But, you know, he's one of these gritty guys that comes from Team Althamel out in Sacramento that just every time you see him, whether he wins or loses, improves, and you can see him molding um, himself into be a very, very well-rounded fighter. Um, so he picked up the win here and I'm really curious to see how he kind of, kind of the, how he lays out in the rest of this 145 pound division. And then lastly, we had, uh, my Italian brother over here crossing seas coming over, uh, Marvin Vittori. He got revenge on Carl Robertson. You know, he finally submitted him at the end of the first round after, you know, Carl Robertson missing weight and then, not wanting to take the fight after not missing weight, and they got into that that hotel scuffle. Um, I forget which card it was. I think it was the Anthony Smith card, but I can't remember. But you know, they had a really, really fun, really, really fun scrap. They mixed it really well on the feet, and then on the ground had these crazy, insane scrambles. Um, so I, I'm really interested to see where Marvin goes into this uh, thick, thick, thick 185 pound division. You know, he had that really close fight with Israel Adesanya, who is now the champ. So, man, if he can build some momentum right here, he's going to get some really big fights in the middleweight division. Um, but that kind of wraps things up for the the card on Saturday. But let's look ahead to tomorrow's card. And, man, do we have a banger, a banger of a card. Um, from top to bottom, so let's go. So, um, this, this fight card kind of has a little bit of everything for you from top to bottom. Uh, you know, it has storylines, uh, yeah, storylines, stakes, and some fun name value. Um, so, and one of the big storylines going into this card, which was kind of, uh, magnified in the last card was, man, UFC's putting these fight cards on really, really last minute and, you know, forcing these fighters to take opportunities maybe when they wouldn't have otherwise. And like we saw in this last card, you know, four fighters missed weight. So a lot of the hardcores and a a lot of guys are really paying attention to the weigh-ins now to see who's missing weight and who's not. 
Fortunately for this fight card, only one person missed weight, and that was Frank Camacho. Um, he missed the he missed the mark just by a couple, I think just by two pounds, um, and he took the fight on just a couple days' notice. So I was really happy to see that everybody else came up on weight. Um, uh, and I guess you know the the heavyweights on the card don't really have to uh, have to worry about that. But l- let's get right into the nitty gritty of this card as well. Uh, so on the preliminary card. Um, we start off with Roxanne Modafferi and Lauren Murphy. Now, this is at women's flyweight. Again, this is a division that really, you know, needs to be filled out a little bit. Um, Roxanne Modafferi, you know, she was in there, I believe, uh, I think she came in at the flyweight version of Tough on the Ultimate Fighter. And, you know, Roxanne will always be a fun, scrappy grappler in there. I don't believe she'll ever be at the top. But, you know, she'll always have fun fights at the bottom. And, you know, Lori Mur- Lauren Murphy is always a great competitor, so that should be a great fight. Um, moving up in the flyweight uh, division as well, women's flyweight, we got Courtney Casey, Arizona's own, taking on uh, Jillian Robertson. And Courtney Casey is another one of these girls who, man, she just fought a little over a month ago and, you know, just taking opportunities as she can. You know, she didn't... Um, she didn't get too banged up in her last fight. She caught a submission early in the first round. And, you know, she's going to be one of these fighters, like we've been talking about, who really capitalizes on this COVID era where, you know, UFC needs fighters and needs fighters just to say yes to certain matchups. So I'm hoping, you know, Courtney has kind of had her up and downs at 115, but I really think she can make a mark at 125. Uh, moving up on the preliminary card, we also got Tisha Torres making her return, so that should be interesting at 115. But then, man, they got a stacked, stacked, stacked main event on the preliminary card uh, for the main event. We got Clay Guida taking on Bobby Green. And I love this fight because it's two vets. I love when the UFC matches up two vets who are in similar um, positions in the rankings. And so we got light, or we got Clay Guida, who's made his return up to lightweight, taking on Bobby Green. And Clay Guida is one of these guys who I feel like, even though he's almost 40 right now, in 10 years, we'll still be talking about Clay Guida taking up another up-and-comer, still having fun fights with his crazy hair. And he takes on Bobby Green, who, you know, Bobby Green's a vet. He's got a lot of great wins on his record, but man, has has not really been consistent and has had really bad losses in the last five years. And so I think this is a great matchup for both guys. Clay Guida, you know, he's always been the workhorse, grinds, pushes you up against the cage, wrestles, but has really come into his own in this last couple fights where he may not have the one-punch knockout power, but he's starting to hurt guys a lot uh, with his punches. And in his last fight, it was only a, a one. It was only a one-minute fight with Jim Miller, but ended up hurting Jim Miller, and it ended up costing him because he hurt Jim Miller, and he rushed in and ended up getting hurt himself, and then caught with that guillotine. But I'm really interested to see, you know, what Glita does, you know, honing in on the fact that hey, he can hurt people with with his punches now. And Bobby Green has always been a guy who bites down on the mouthpiece, and if you're willing to slug, he's willing right there to do it back. You know, uh, Bobby Green a couple years ago had that crazy fight with Dustin Poirier where he was leaving his chin up, and they were both just slugging it. He hurt Dustin, but ultimately ended up getting knocked out by Dustin. But man, that is a that is a great, great fight, and I can't wait for that one. Uh, moving on to the main card, just like we were talking about, we have Jim Miller taking on Roosevelt Roberts, and you know, 
Jim Miller is now in this spot where he's so seasoned that they just kind of throw him in there with these uh, with these young up-and-comers. He occasionally gets the Joe Lozons and the Clay Guidas, but then as soon as he gets a couple wins over those guys, they throw him right back in there with the with the newcomers. And, um, you know, Jim Miller's another one of those guys, too, is kind of settling into his body and kind of finding power of his own. Um, so I expect that this fight with Roosevelt, Roosevelt Roberts to be kind of a... Um, uh, telltale sign for both guys to see where they're at. Is Roosevelt ready to, you know, fight the upper echelon guys? And is Jim Miller still crafty enough to take out these young up-and-comers? Um, moving on to the next fight, we got uh, Bilal, uh, Bilal Muhammad and Lyman Good. And man, this is going to be a great, great welterweight fight. You got Lyman Good, who's the uh, the first and former uh, Bellator welterweight champion. And man, I-, I-, I love watching Lyman Good fight, man. That dude is always jacked in shape his striking is always phenomenal and stylistically this is a great fight because Bilal Muhammad I'm sure is probably looking to take this to the ground um so we'll we'll kind of see you know whose game um you know takes over uh I also think I always like to put fun spin on fights where you know both these guys during these uh during these trying times have, have been through a lot uh Lyman Good actually uh was diagnosed with COVID uh, when this whole thing happened, I think he was supposed to fight um, on one of the cards that got canceled early in the year, and uh, he came out. Um, he uh, came out, stated, you know, explaining like his whole COVID experience, and then below Muhammad, actually, I forget where, but um, you know, he comes from immigrant parents who set up shop here in the states. You know, came over with nothing, uh, opened up some retail stores, and they've been growing strong. And actually, during the uh, during the protests, um, you know, had his uh, had his parents' um, stores burned down, and so both these guys during this pandemic and, and these protests have you know been through a lot, and so I'm curious to see what their mindset is coming in, into this fight, and uh, you know how emotional these guys fight. So there is a lot riding on this fight outside of you know just wins and losses and money. Um, so keep an eye on that one. Um, after that, we got a woman's bantamweight fight against Raquel Pennington and Marion Renault. And I really don't understand the placement of this fight. You know, um, Rocky Pennington, you know, she always brings brings it, and she's a fun fighter. But as of late, just I, I feel like her, her mind just really hasn't been there. You know, she wanted to quit on the stool against Nunez, and that fight really wasn't all that competitive. She got beat down pretty hard. Marion Renault always doesn't bring out the most exciting fights, and I think with some of the, a lot of those bangers on the preliminary card, you know, you definitely could have fit one of those cards in in this spot. But you know, regardless, you know, this this doesn't really do anything for the bantamweight division. Neither of these girls are next in line for for a title shot, and I don't really think one gets a big fight after this either. And you know, we still don't really know what's going on with Nunez, so the whole bantamweight division is kind of up in the air. But man, these next two fights really, really get me excited. We got Josh Emmett taking on Shane Burgos uh, for a featherweight co-main event. Now, this fight has fireworks written all over it. You got Shane Burgos, who's coming off of a three-fight winning streak. Um, she's our, uh, He's coming up, and man, he couldn't have a more devastating opponent in Josh Emmett. Josh Emmett uh, is coming off of uh, two pretty quick knockout, uh, two pretty quick knockout finishes. Uh, both these guys' stand-up is just insane. And so I'm really interested to see if 
Emmett kind of goes back to his roots and uh, starts implementing uh, some more grappling, especially in the wrestling department coming from Team Alpha Male. I think Shane Burgos is, you know, Emmett has the boxing to, or has the punching power to keep him in the fight, but man, Burgos just comes with all kinds of crazy angles. Um, and he's no slouch on the ground either. But when it comes to, to a variety when in the striking, Shane Burgos beats Josh Emmett by a mile. But Emmett, Emmett's power is some of the most incredible stuff I've ever seen at, for a guy at 145 pounds. I mean, that guy, if he touches anybody on the chin, they're going out. Um, both guys have been taken out the kind of bottom end of uh, 145 pounds and kind of the, the middle end of it too. Um, so I'm really, really curious to see where these guys go after this. And whoever wins here is definitely going to be put in the top five at 145 and is probably going to be one or two fights away from fighting for a title once Volkanovski and Holloway, you know, finish up um, uh, their rematch uh, at 251, I believe. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, man, yeah, Shane Burgos had that crazy fight against uh, Amak Mari in his last fight, and then Emmett just totally destroyed Mursad Bektik. Uh, and so both guys' momentum right now is that they've been on a collision course, and I'm so happy that these guys got match up, matched up. Uh, in the main event, we got Curtis Blades and Alexander, Volkano uh, Alexander Volkov. Volkanovsky, man, all these Russian guys coming in with all their crazy-ass names. Throwing a wrench in my mind right now. Um, but this is a great heavyweight fight. Um, both guys are kind of in a weird position, uh, in the weird position at the top of the heavyweight division in the UFC. Blades is really in this weird position because he's 13-2, and two, um, but his two losses are just to Francis Ngannou, who's waiting for the winner of DC, uh, DC and Stipe. And then Volkov is actually, his only loss is to Derek Lewis, and he was owning that Derek Lewis fight before, um, before getting finished. So this is really going to be a deciding factor on who gets to fight for that title once DC and once you know DC and Stipe gets figured out because for for those two this could be their last fight the winner of that they could just lay down the title and run right off into the sunset and same thing for the loser both DC and Stipe th this could be the last time we see them so for these young guys at, at heavyweight this is really the time right now to be you know making a name for yourself because once those guys leave Top end of that division is going to be wide open, and whoever has the most impressive victory is definitely going to be put right in there for a title shot. Uh, stylistically, this is a great fight. Alexander Volkov is a devastating striker, absolutely devastating. Uh, I mean, he just puts it on anybody with volume, number one, and power, and he comes from all angles, knees, elbows. Uh, punches, kick, he does it all. And he's not only devastating at range with his length and his height, but man, in the clinch with his Muay Thai clinch and elbows and his knees too, you just can't, you can't stay comfortable. And he's a guy, when you start sitting back, he really puts it on you. And then on the flip side, Curtis Blades is one of these guys who came in as a wrestler, super devastating, you know, Comes in, has a great shot, great top game. But in these last few fights, has really come together with his striking. I mean, um, 
knocked out Junior Dos Santos, and that has a lot to do with his wrestling game. With you know Junior be so being so wary of the wrestling, um, but you know, but that's what this game's all about. It's about mixing up your styles, and so for Curtis Blade, for Curtis Blade, for him to. Um, get confidence in his striking and for him to rely on his wrestling to set up that striking. That's what we like to see in these guys. That's exactly what we want to see. And so for Volkov, he can't get too comfortable with his takedown defense. He still has to be ready uh, for the striking of Curtis Blades. So I definitely favor Curtis in this fight just because he's the better all-around fighter. But let's not forget, Volkov has really been working on his takedown defense um, he was kind of getting taken down at will against Verdum, but was getting right back up to his feet every time. And that's what ultimately led Fabricio to get tired and then Volkov to get that late finish uh, in early in that fourth round, uh, which was super devastating. So, you know, maybe we see Curtis Blades getting the takedown early, doing some damage on top because he has devastating crown and pound too. But if we start seeing Volkov get up, we know Volkov can go five rounds. And we know Blades can too, but if Curtis blows his load just shooting in for takedowns over and over and over again, and then we see Volkov not taking a lot of damage, but then really putting it on Curtis late, this is the, you know this this fight just has a real recipe uh, for fireworks and for a great stylistic matchup. Uh, so be on the lookout for that one. The winner of that is definitely going to get thrown right into uh, a tie or right up into the upper echelon of that division. So I'm really excited for uh, tomorrow night's card. Um, but moving on from that, let's get into, uh, let's do some housekeeping real quick with uh, some news uh, in the space. So, you know, we've, uh, um, there's been kind of a, uh, what would you call it? A, um, a mood, a mood to say uh, among all of the fighters now. Um, we've talked about it, you know, with the with the lawsuit against the UFC and them having to uh, show and prove all of their financials in court, and now that's all on public display for not only media, the court, but now also the fighters. So the fighters now know exactly what they're worth because they know exactly what they're pulling in on these events, and they, you know, it came out that the UFC is only paying their fighters at a high end 17, 16 to 17% of the revenue. And so now you're seeing a lot of these guys at the top end know their worth. And now they're putting their foot down against what they're uh, on, what they're getting paid. Um, and, you know, we've been kind of talking about how every fighter has a different dilemma in the scheme of this whole COVID era. So the latest person to do this is Amanda Nunes. She's the uh, dual champion now at 135 and 145. But she came out and said, you know, she's thinking about retiring. She's got nothing else to prove. She's cleaned out two divisions. And when Dana came out, you know, when, when uh, guys uh, talk about retiring, Dana's usually like, oh, well, if they're thinking about it, they might as well get out now because this is a dangerous game to be playing if, you're, if you have one foot in and one, uh, one foot out. But Dana changed his tone on this with Amanda Nunes. He, you know, he came out and said, "No way, Jose! I'd kill her if uh, if she left." And now Nunes is not alone with it. Not alone in saying that she's got nothing left to prove. You know, uh, John Jones has said this. Henry Cejudo has said this. Conor McGregor has said this. But again, her dilemma is quite different than the rest. She actually, to me. Even though she doesn't bring in the numbers like Conor McGregor, she has the UFC leveraged here. Um, 
she's a dual weight champ, but like like I said, she's cleaned out two divisions. And we're not in the era, and the women don't get the light like the men do, where you can just throw in anybody in a title fight, and then all of a sudden they will get the buzz um, you know, of being a UFC champion. The women still don't really get the respect unless they have a huge, huge, huge name or unless they're some like Instagram model. You know, they don't get the, the buzz and the attention l- like the men do. So for her to threaten to leave really puts a damper on uh, 135. And if and if she leaves, if she retires and gives up that 145 pound belt, you can kiss the 140, 145 pound division in the UFC goodbye. Like without Amanda, you know, it started with Cyborg. And luckily, Cyborg lost to Amanda because without Amanda now, there is no 145-pound division. And if she loses and if she gives up 135-pound, you know, there really is no one besides Holly Holm. Uh, Amanda Nunes has forced all the big names to retire. Uh, uh, Rousey's obviously gone. Uh, Misha Tate's gone. Uh, Kat Zingano is, at, is in Bellator at 145 pounds now. Um... I mean, who like she's cleaned out everybody, uh, and they don't. She's cleaned them out so much that she pushed them into retirement. That's how bad she beats these women up. So I don't know what the UFC is going to do without her. So I'm sure this is going to be the one instance where UFC writes her a blank check. It's either they write her a blank check to sit out, or they you know get creative and. Uh, you know, make an interesting fight for her. You know, they've talked about doing a Clarissa Shields fight, whether it's in MMA or boxing. I don't know, you know, how that's going to work in the long run, but they're going to have to get super creative with her because I don't see anybody beating her. The only way I could see a competitive matchup right now, which will never happen, is if they somehow co-promote with Bellator to do uh, Cyborg Nunez 2, which... Why would the UFC do that? Nunez already knocked her out in under a minute in the UFC. So uh, UFC is definitely at a rock and a hard place with this one. But it just goes to show you, you know, UFC is in a real bind when it comes to their their um, their higher-end fighters. Like I said, they finally know their worth. And unless you start bringing a bigger piece of the pie to the table, they're going to pack up their lunch and go home. Um, but also what's been funny in the news is that you know, Joe Silva, he retired in 2016 when the UFC sold to WME, or when Zufa sold the UFC to WME. Uh, but now, you know, we've always heard stories uh, of locker room talk about Joe Silva and about how hard he is to deal with and how he's this, you know, five foot hobbit, but talks to these fighters like, you know, like, uh, like just very degrading, very, very degrading. And now, like, uh, you know, somebody's going to have to make a docu-series on, on Joe Silva and how he dealt with these guys because, man, the stuff that fighters are saying about him are insane. And, again, if you're hardcore, you have probably have heard how hard he's been to deal with and, you know, how he just totally, totally um, ruins these guys' names and, you know, will come out after a fight and, you know, uh, degrade their performance, degrade their families, and uh, degrade their style. Um, and it's just, it's it, it's a hard way to do business, especially when you're a fighter putting, you're in a very vulnerable position as a fighter. And so when you go in there and you put your life on the line for, 
you know, nickels and dimes, and then just to have this little guy who's technically your boss go and totally just dismantle you like that, it's, it, it, it can be, like, I can ruin your confidence, and so uh, it's just interesting to see, like, the full extent now that he's gone, because fighters are really going heavy in the paint on him, so I'm interested to see now the rest of the fighters at the top end, what their stories are, and how, you know, how the, how this is going to look on the UFC because why this is a big deal is between the lawsuit, the revenue shares, and now these Joe Silva stories, UFC is in a really, really, really weird position because finally all of the stuff that everyone's been saying behind the scenes is now, um, you know, it's getting put out there. And it's what's funny is them signing with ESPN, yeah, they're on a major sports network, but ESPN isn't shying away from all of the controversies uh, that surround UFC, and now ESPN is putting it on their forefront, and so I'm really interested to see how this relationship works between the network of ESPN and UFC as the the content provider, and I'm I'm wondering if we're gonna start seeing some some uh uh what do I call it uh, like shifts in attitude towards each other. Um, so we'll see how, how that story further develops, but, um, you know, UFC's also announced their plans for the rest of the summer and man, they are going to finish up this season with some heavyweight bangers. Uh, Stipe, Stipe in DC is finally finalized for August. Uh, Derek Lewis is taking on, uh, Alexi Olenek, which is one of my favorite stylistic matchups. I mean, when they put that together, I got super excited um, Alexander Gustafson is coming out of retirement and he said, you know, screw that, screw that weight cut down to 205. I'm going to go up to heavyweight and he's coming, he's coming back up or he's coming out of retirement, moving up and fighting the former champ for Breezy over Doom, which is another just great stylistic matchup. Uh, Verdum looked terrible against Olenek coming off of that USADA suspension. Um, so man, if, if he doesn't, you know, really get his shit together and tighten up his game and get in better shape. Alexander Gufferson is going to put it on him. And like I said, DC and Stipe, this might be one and done for both of these guys. So if Gufferson can come back and look and put on a great performance against a former champ like Verdum, they could throw him right in there in a title fight at at, at heavyweight. And uh, you know, it, it again, UFC, they aren't making title fights based on ranking and stature anymore they're doing it based on name and we see that with Jose Aldo um you know we're seeing it time and time again so if Gustafson does look good against Verdum don't be surprised if we see him in there in a title fight in his next fight um but yeah um and then you know the UFC a lot uh, announced a lot more great fights but you know, me and Mike will get into them uh, next week when, you know, Mike's finally done adjusting some someone's valve movements. But uh, so until next week, folks, I am Raj Gallardi. Thank you guys for answering the call to violence. Look forward to talking to you guys next week. Thanks.